United Church of Christ presents We Are Not the Light, the reflection by the Reverend Jean Randall Bodman, presented on Sunday, January 7th, 2024. Please pray with me. Holy One, be in the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts. Speak comfort and challenge and new life to us, for without you we are lost. Amen. Well, just before I came to Kairos as your pastor, the church I was then serving as associate engaged in some building renovations. They added a beautiful, welcoming new narthex, all windows across the front with a space in one corner for kids to grab some books and coloring pages and a corner with shelves so anyone who had some extra shelf-stable food could drop it off and anybody who needed it for themselves or a neighbor could pick it up. They also renovated one end of the Christian Ed building. They upgraded the kitchen, added several restrooms, and created new offices at the back of the chapel, one of which I got to move into. Now, you should know about this chapel. It was landed on the cover of Time or Life or one of those when it was first formed. It's very, very steeply pitched, and the ceiling comes from a point almost to the ground. Keep that in mind. The renovations were a long process. There was a feasibility study and all the fundraising and the planning, and the green team was given a chance to make suggestions. And one thing they were particularly adamant about was that all the new rooms, the kitchen, the meeting rooms, the restrooms, and the offices should have motion sensor lights. Because like most churches, we had a lot of outside users. And what that meant was that unfortunately, a lot of time at council meetings was spent arguing about who left the lights on this time and whose responsibility it was to make sure that it didn't happen again and again and again. So motion sensor lights seemed like the perfect idea. Once people were out of the building, the lights would time out and go off. It sounded like a perfect idea. I moved into my new office on a windy winter afternoon and spent several um, grumpy hours putting together my new IKEA bookcases. Okay, that's not my, that's not my calling. <laughs> and then shortly after dark, I finally sat down at my desk to look at the emails I should have been looking at hours earlier. I must have been tired and sitting extra still because about seven minutes later, I was very suddenly sitting in complete darkness. I mean complete darkness. I was alone in a very large building in my little office, tucked at the back of that highly pitched chapel that creaked in the wind, just like this one does. I scrambled up, trying to be careful of the boxes of books that were still strewn around the office, and flailed about for a moment. And then, just as suddenly, I was standing in bright light. It went on like that the whole time I worked in that office. Our building and grounds folks managed to shift to the lights so I didn't actually have to get up every time the lights clicked off on me. I could just lean back and flail. <sighs> it was annoying and also, I think, very amusing to anyone who happened to be passing by. <laughs> I will never forget how very dark that office seemed on the first day 
how surprised I was by sudden darkness, and then how very bright that one light seemed when it came on. And I've been thinking about that. that. That image popped into my mind as I was thinking about this season of epiphany which we enter today, the season of light shining in the darkness, of things that are in the dark being made visible and manifest. We know that using darkness as a metaphor for things that are wrong or evil is problematic because darkness, we must always remember, is also the site of goodness. Darkness can be soft and rich and quiet. Softness, uh, darkness can be full of possibility. It's a place of safety for a growing fetus or a seed that is planted in the dark winter earth. But the darkness that cries out for the light of God is not that kind of friendly, nurturing, life-giving darkness. It is the darkness that smothers and obscures and weighs us down. And I know that many of us have been feeling that kind of unfriendly darkness or gloom already for some time now, perhaps since the beginning of the COVID pandemic, perhaps since even before then. If we look ahead together at the year that's coming with its wars and climate crisis and the already exhausting election, that darkness seems anything but generative. It does not feel friendly. It feels heavy. There seems to be a, an underlying sense of gloom. The prophet Isaiah said to the people of his time, living in their own period of gloom, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. He was writing to people who had lost almost everything. Israel had been defeated by an alien empire, and their holy temple had been destroyed. Many of the people had been carried off right out of their own land into exile. And for years, they had been longing and praying to return home. As the waiting grew longer, their world felt heavier and darker, and God seemed farther away. And into that moment, Isaiah said, the God you long for is not far off to the people who were bowed down over everything that they had lost. He said, arise, shine, your light has come. Perhaps that, pro that promise of the prophet, prophet, God's promise, spoken over and over again to the ancient people, is also a promise for us. God's light will shine on us and in us and through us through us so that other people will also see God's light shining and be restored and renewed and given hope in a time that feels unhopeful. Isaiah's promises were not mere positive thinking or toxic positivity, which it's so easy to fall into, the kind of positive thinking that ignores the darkness. Isaiah does not do that. He acknowledged that the darkness was real and the losses were real. And he said that the light, the light was God's. The people themselves were not the light. The promise was that God's light was going to shine upon them and in them and through them. And that way, they would be able to see their way home. Their job was not to create the light, but to look for it 
and recognize it and walk by it. Matthew's story of the Magi, the non-Jewish sages who had apparently been attending to the skies themselves and looking for portents, that story was written to fulfill what the prophet Isaiah had written. For Matthew, the birth of Jesus, the light for all the nations, set a star alight so that Gentiles from far away would be drawn to the light and that they would, they would come and bring their gifts. And Matthew includes the detail of the gifts that Isaiah had prophesied. Because the light is not just for one people or one place. It's not perceived by one people in one place. It is available to everyone in all places. That's the message of the story of the Magi. This promise of light coming into the world and the light coming from God seems especially poignant and important to me right now. This promise that God's light will rise on us and shine through us. As we face a world of injustice and malice, it is a relief to me to know that I am not the light and you are not the light. It is not up to us in our human limitation to figure out how to fix everything that is breaking our human hearts because we are not left alone. Our calling is not to figure out how to save the whole world by our own strength, but to find ways to let the light of a love that is far bigger than any we can muster on our own shine and work through us. The job is a little bit to get our egos to set, step aside for a moment. We don't have to create that light or that love. We just have to participate in it. This lets us off the hook, but it also calls us to be both deeply humble and very brave. Because the gloom is real, because the world's troubles are grave, and it's easy to feel overwhelmed. I suspect I am not alone in sometimes feeling like I just want to give up. I either want to fret or numb myself into immobility. I am embarrassed by how many rounds of solitaire I have played on my phone. So I won't be worrying or fretting about things I can't control. Alternating with the numbing and the fretting are moments when I feel I have to have an opinion and an answer and an action for every single issue that I read about. That I have to have a hot take and a solution, which when I say it out loud, sounds like I'm having delusions of grandeur <laughs> or some issues with grandiosity because I am one small person. I found today's reading from 2 Timothy a helpful anchor. The author wrote, for this reason, I remind you to reignite the gift of God that is within you. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but one of power and of love and of self-control. Grounding ourselves in God's love and claiming the gift of the spirit, we can each be a window allowing God's light to shine in the world. By self-control, by stillness and prayer and attentiveness to the voice of God around us, the voice of God in each other, in nature, and in the deep stillness of our own souls. We listen for what things we need to let go of 
and what things we each need to take up to allow God's light to shine through us. In the next months, we will be engaging as a congregation in conversations about how we as a community can most faithfully allow God's light to shine. We'll begin with a council retreat and then we'll expand to conversations for the whole congregation. But before we begin and as we go forward, I invite you every day to find a moment of silence to listen for what God is saying. Before we speak, before we complain or fret or dream up ideas, I invite us to pause and listen. In that listening, to, to say to God, maybe without words, all that is on our minds and hearts about our own lives and about our life as a community. We are not the light, but we have tasks to do. Stephen Charleston wrote recently, you have been chosen to be who you are, not as an accident, not as an existence without purpose, but as a self-aware soul brought to life by a spirit who knows your name. You have a mission to carry out, a message to send, a blessing to bestow. You are the only one who can live your life. You are entrusted with a corner of the universe. You are a stakeholder in creation, selected for a task only you can complete. Each of us as individuals has purpose, and we as a community have a purpose. Listen again to Stephen Charleston's words. We have been chosen to be who we are, Kairos, not as an accident, not as an existence without purpose, but as self-aware souls brought to life by a spirit who knows our name. We have a mission to carry out, a message to send, a blessing to bestow. We are the only ones who can live our life. We are entrusted with a corner of the universe. We are a stakeholder in creation, selected for a task that only we can complete. As we move forward deeper into what promises to be a difficult year in the world, we know that we are called and empowered not to be the world's salvation, but to shine the light of God that is coming to us, the light of God that is calling all of humanity into God's beloved community. Listen, listen, listen.